Hello, welcome to My Camino, the podcast. I'm Dan Mullins, and I'm just so happy you've hit play and have chosen to join me for another discussion about the Camino de Santiago. Let me begin by thanking my Patreon sponsors. If you'd like to sponsor the podcast, simply go to patreon.com forward slash Dan Mullins. This is a podcast about El Camino de Santiago, and if you're new to the podcast, welcome. If you find yourself on the Camino, you'll be greeted by other pilgrims with the blessing Buen Camino, which translates from Spanish as Good Way. You're walking the way of St. James, Camino to Santiago. And you want your fellow pilgrim to walk in joy, in comfort, in light and shade. You might end up with a tattoo that says Buen Camino, a permanent reminder of the joy of pilgrimage. I had never heard the term until I stepped onto the Camino. I spent my first night with the Benedictine nuns in Sahun, and it was magic. After dinner, we drifted off, and a Dutch couple said, Buen Camino, Dan. And I said, sorry? And they explained the use and history of the blessing I have since received countless times. Good way. There's another term you might hear from time to time, ultraia. It's Latin for beyond. And when I hear ultraia, I think it's a deeper urging, more than a blessing. It's more like the pilgrim is urging you to dig deeper, perhaps physically, but also spiritually. Ultraia, go beyond. Go where you perhaps fear to go. Go to where you hope to find what you're looking for. I've read before that Ultraia was part of a longer greeting used in medieval times, Ultraia Susea Santiago, or beyond, upwards Santiago. It's incredible to think we are sharing this journey with medieval pilgrims, and in many ways sharing those very same blessings. There's no doubt, after interviewing almost 300 pilgrims from around the world, the Camino offers an opportunity for change. It might not necessarily be a change in you, but it might be it gives you insight to see the change in others. Acceptance, patience, tolerance, even love. All the hallmarks of a life lived in the spirit of St. James and the man with whom he walked the Holy Land over 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ. You can't help but be swept up in Christianity while on the Camino. It's everywhere you turn. And it just provides fuel to the fire in your belly, a determination to try in some small way to take the Camino home with you to make the world a better place. My quote this week is actually a song lyric. It's from a song called Honey in the Rock by Brooke Fraser and Brandon Lake. There's honey in the rock, purpose in your plan, power in the blood, healing in your hands started flowing when you said it is done. Everything you did is enough. My guest this week sent me a video of her talk at her local church. It was giving back, and it was making the world a better place in some small way. And you could tell there was great love in those gathered, great love for Amy Wiseman as she shared her Camino journey. And in listening to Amy, those gathered learned about acceptance patience, tolerance, and love, the teachings of the prophet in whose name they gathered. Amy Wiseman is on the line from Michigan. Welcome, Pilgrim. Thank you so much. Your love of travel began when you were quite young. Tell us about how this wanderlust began. I'm originally from Canada, so my first travel started going back and forth to Ontario with my family 
So I never really considered that a big international trip because we always live so close. But when I was 19, my family had the chance to go to South Africa. Mm. And that was the furthest away I'd ever been. And the second we got off the plane, I was in love. I wanted to try every bit of kind of food I could get my hands on. I wanted to go everywhere we could, listen to different music. It, it was immediately addicting. And you say you've mastered the art of travelling on a budget. Yeah. Give us a secret to travelling on a budget, maybe something we haven't thought of before. Yeah, it starts off with actually not having any money, um, so that makes it easier. But no, it, <laughs> <laughs> I look for the cheapest flights I could possibly find, and you may not actually enjoy the flight, but if it gets you somewhere, why not go? So, yeah, I will spend hours or days, sometimes weeks, looking for the most inexpensive um, but most adventurous-sounding place I could go. And so I've done it a few times with friends where I've been able to travel to Europe and hit up about five different countries in two weeks and do it under $1,500. Wow. So, yeah, it's, uh, it's fun for me. I don't know how fun it would be for everyone, but... Yeah, yeah. It does take a great deal of discipline too, doesn't it? Because you might think, oh, I'll just lash out tonight. But mm-hmm. you, really, you really can't, can you, when you're on a budget? No, no. No. So, Amy, how did you learn about the Camino? Well, um, I started, after going to South Africa, I started collecting National Geographics, all different kinds of travel books and magazines, and started leaving little sticky notes in them and had my my bucket list of trips. And the Camino de Santiago was was one of those that I listed, but I kind of had that marked as like, after I retire, I can do this um, sort of trip. Um, So that was, uh, I read it, I read about it maybe 10 years ago, but just kind of left it off to the side. Yeah. And do you remember that moment when you said, it's the right time to do the Camino because I understand from watching your talk in your local church that the pandemic had quite an impact on you and that, that whole time of isolation and, and, and change in your rhythm. Yeah, for sure. Well, like for many people, it completely changed our everyday life. And for me, I worked in retail and in customer service. And that's where we got to see people at their worst. It was there, there was demand for everything that we didn't have. There was a lack of employment. So we were working long hours and there were never enough people to help out. And it was, it just drained you. Mm. So I, I didn't have regular hours. I had also started my own business at the beginning of 2020, before the world shut down, um, doing painting and upholstery work. And while that was going well, and I I got quite a few gigs doing that, that was all of my time gone. And so I didn't get to go to family things. I didn't get to hang out with friends because I had inadvertently become a workaholic. So I would daydream about the days when we could travel again. And I uh, pulled out my, my travel books and I found my little sticky note with the Camino written on it. And that's when I thought, well, maybe, maybe I could go sooner than, rather than later. How long after that moment was it that you actually stepped onto the trail? How long did you take preparing and, and planning? 
I think it was maybe just a little less than a year. Okay. So I think I made my final decision. Um, well, I decided I was going to quit my job about six months before I had left. I decided that's what I'm going to do. I'll quit right before I leave and figure out something new when I come back. Um, so, but that was a big decision to make. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it was probably about a year that I was really thinking and praying on it. And then I started, you know, trying to do some more training too, because despite the fact being on my feet all day at my job, that's still not much preparation for something like this. Yeah. I sometimes talk about spreadsheet pilgrims, but you were a bit more than that. You were a research pilgrim. Tell us about the liturgical books and and becoming fascinated with monastic lifestyles and medieval practices. You even researched desert fathers and mothers seeking wisdom in the wilderness. Tell us about that journey. So I actually started therapy about five or six months before I left on the Camino. I was just feeling super scatterbrained and run down and just with work and life and not sharing about the Camino and everything. Um, So I started to do therapy and my therapist had suggested um, different reading material for me. And she goes, have you ever heard about, you know, desert fathers or desert mothers? And she suggested um, a book by Henry Nowen that kind of talked about them. And that was kind of dipping my toe into the practice of seclusion and separating yourself for a deeper relationship with God. And I had also read um, another book called Poets and Saints, which just, I got hooked on. I read, I've read it probably five times now, uh, but it's all about people throughout history that may not have done super extraordinary things, but they're remembered for their small steps of faith. Um, And so that was kind of my pool of research was going into the people that came before, what kind of practices are available now, and is this realistically going to make a difference in my life like it did for these people? Yeah. Yeah. You also quote in your talk uh, a couple of times the book Sacred Travels. Tell us about that. Oh, I love that book. Um, So uh, Christian George wrote this book and he goes through some stories of multiple trips that he had gone on, oftentimes with his dad, um, to different sacred places throughout the world, mostly in Europe. And they were pilgrimages that he took and it's takeaways that he had from each of those places. And I had read that book before I went on the Camino and I picked it up again once I got home and I was working on my presentation for my church. And this book spoke to me on a much higher level than it did before because I related to it. So those quotes were a lot easier to pull out because I went, yes, I believe that. Yes, I felt that. Absolutely. Yeah. And you said in the talk that while you were very excited about going on the Camino, you knew that you would have to put a lot more trust in God and let go of a few safety nets before setting off. So I imagine, and the question I've written underneath that quote from your talk is, lots of prayer, I imagine. Mm-hmm. Definitely. You go on then to quote Jeremiah 6.16, 
says the Lord, stand by the roads and ask for the ancient paths where the good way is, and then walk in it, and you will find rest for your souls. Why did Jeremiah 6.16 resonate with you, Amy? Uh, Because of my mom. She actually showed me that verse before I left for the Camino. Um, And she she printed out a bunch of cards with my picture on it to give out to people for them to pray for me while I was gone, which was very touching. Um, But she's like, you'll never believe the verse I found. And she gave it to me. And it was it was called the good way. And it's the way it just it correlated in it. And it stuck out so much that I had it written in my journal a few times while I was walking the Camino that I, am I on the good way? Am I walking the good way? Does it feel like the good way? So great. Yeah. Says the Lord, stand by the roads and ask for the ancient paths where the good way is and then walk Mm -hmm. in it and you will find rest for your souls. I love it. So great. So let's go to the Camino. Tell us about the moment you found your scallop shell. Uh, So that was in St. John. Mm -hmm. That day was so strange because I, nothing was open yet. Um, so I was just wandering through the town and it was raining. And the second the pilgrim office opened, I ran in. And they just had a, a bucket full of shells there. And I don't even think I looked through them. I just grabbed the first one I could find because I immediately wanted to have it on my backpack. <laughs> I just, I think I just wanted to start it as soon as possible. So I just grabbed the first shell I saw. Mm, I loved it. You said in your talk, it's like putting on a jersey. You place yourself in a team. Yeah. It is, isn't yeah, it? I, it is. It is. And I, I had seen, I actually had seen people on the plane because uh, I had flew, flown over from London uh, with backpacks with shells. And I went, oh my gosh, there, there are other pilgrims. Do I go talk to them? Uh, they won't know I'm a pilgrim yet because I don't have my shell. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But being part of a team is, is interesting because you generally would know the other people in the in that team but your first Mm -hmm. lesson that you took from the Camino was to sit with strangers take us through that the first time I sat with strangers was at a restaurant in St. John I walked into this restaurant and I can't remember the name of it but the the waiter said what country are you from or are you American Canadian I said I'm Canadian he's like great there's a table full of Canadians over there you can go sit with them and he's pairing off people with (laughs) others that are within their region so you can go meet the other Canadians or the other Americans. So I sat with um, a group full of Canadians and they were great. And we didn't even talk about being Canadian. We talked about other things, but it was so easy to talk to them. Yeah. It is. It is easy. And and we just put so much pressure on the conversation or if we're going to do small talk or whatever. You could just talk to somebody about anything on the Camino. It just came so easily. Yeah. That's one of the things I love the most, just sitting around talking. It's so great. Mm -hmm. You talk about the generosity of the Camino. What do you mean? There was my first day walking. I did not bring enough water with me. And about two-thirds into the day, I got really dehydrated. And so I was really slowing down. And there was this group of um, Korean ladies in front of me. And I had sort of met them the night before. We stayed at the same albergue. But they started leaving clementines on the rocks and on fence posts for me to 
grab as I was walking because they saw me slowing down. And then one of them eventually, she came up and she poured water out of her own water bottle for me. And we didn't even speak the same language, but all they saw was that I was walking a little bit slower mm. and they left me clementines and water. And I thought, is this going to be how it is the whole time? Because I don't, I don't want to go home now. This is, <laughs> I'm tired, but this is amazing. And then we get to, to Roncesvalles and it had been pouring rain the whole first day. We walk in and this man hands me a plate full of biscuits and a cup of tea. And he told me not to move until I'd finished them. <laughs> and it, was, it, was, it was abrupt, but it was so kind. And it was, I was just so completely thrown by it. But yeah. we can be that kind. We can be that considerate. All we have to do is just leave a cup of tea out for somebody or some clementines out. Yeah. So you're talking about a clementine is a mandarin, isn't it? Yeah, it's a mandarin. <laughs> yeah, 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 mandarin. We, we don't call them clementines in Australia. Oh, and, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, no. Well, on one hand, you're talking about generosity. You also talked in, the, in your presentation about purists on the Camino that would say that a pilgrim yeah. isn't a pilgrim unless they finish the day with bleeding feet. How did mm-hmm. you... Did you not let those people impact you and your journey? So I noticed that more, maybe like two or three weeks in, where people started, instead of asking you why you started walking the Camino, is how much you had walked that day. And I got really annoyed with that. I am not a competitive person. Ask anyone I've ever played a board game with. (laughs) I don't care who wins. And... So having those kinds of conversations where all you're doing is counting the miles, it just isn't a life-giving conversation as much as what brought you here and what are you looking to find is, and, you know, I want to hear your story versus, well, I did 35 kilometers. How many did you do? And it just, it's not enjoyable to talk about. Yeah. Because your second lesson was don't waste your time competing with those who don't want to compete with you. It's your time, your own time that you're wasting. And that's a very important lesson to learn, isn't it? We have such a short amount of time while we're doing this wonderful pilgrimage. Don't waste it trying to compete with other people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you said later, many people associate pilgrimage as suffering for Christ. You're stretching yourself thin, exposing yourself to the elements to get closer to God and in some strange way, you convince yourself that he'll notice you more. That's really beautiful. I love that. And the way you said it in the presentation gave me kind of like goosebumps. Take us through that. That stretching yourself thin exposes yourself to the elements to get closer to God. And in some strange way, you convince yourself that he'll notice you more. I think it was more like the, maybe the mileage equivalent to white knuckle prayer, whereas you're doing something to the extreme. Maybe, maybe my prayer will be answered if I pray a little louder or pray a little harder or do something a little bit more, I don't know, outside of myself. Maybe God will notice me more. And I think on the Camino, I found that, well, maybe it's just the elimination of everything else in my life that's going to make me notice God more versus the other way around. Mm. 
And that's something I didn't really figure out until a, a few weeks in where I'm, I'm enjoying the people I'm meeting and I, I'm, I'm trying to figure out what I'm supposed to learn, but I'm also not listening. I'm still waiting for God to listen to me when it could very easily be the other way around. Wow. You say if you push yourself to the absolute limit, hoping he'll meet you there, but sometimes God is on the bus. That's lesson number two. Talk us through that. Yeah, that was a tough lesson for me to learn. Um, I injured my knee and I had been, I had keeping, had been keeping a pretty good pace. I was pretty proud of, you know, the effort I had put in at that point, but um, I had locked my knee up and sort of may have torn my meniscus and I couldn't, I couldn't walk. My, my knee had swelled up. I couldn't bend it. And I was, I was angry. I was more angry at myself than anything. Yeah. And uh, so I decided, well, I don't want to sit here all day tomorrow. I'd rather just keep going. Maybe I'll take the bus. And I was going to Lagronio. So the next morning I kind of waddled, waddled up to the bus station and uh, I was, I was just so mad. I was so mad at myself for getting injured as if I could completely take credit for it. But I decided to get on the bus. I sat next to this girl from Denmark and she was so sweet and so kind. She told me where she was staying that night and it was a hotel that was reasonably priced. I had bathtubs, which would be good for my knee if I could soak it. And I said, okay, great. And um, her name's Catherine. And we got to Lagrania. We spent the whole day together. We just got coffees. We waddled around town and we ended up spending every day at the Camino together after that. Christian George says in his book, Sacred Travels, it is more sacred to be held by God than to be healed. If you let your pride get in the way, you're losing a chance for God to carry you. Your third lesson was be humble. And it was the knee injury that really led you to come to that conclusion. Yeah. Take us through that journey. Yeah. It's not a lesson you want to learn. And yeah, if you need to learn the lesson to be humble, you often don't think you need to learn it. It was rough. I had been walking with... um, with one girl who, who she was just going through the miles and she wasn't being obnoxious about it. She was just pushing through and I was feeling myself slowing down and I, I was competing and I didn't need to. When I sat on the bus and I just kind of relinquished my day and knew that I wasn't going to be able to walk it, there was a release that wasn't guilt. It was just, I think, a shift of power and a shift of control um, that I had been holding on to a little bit too tightly and letting go of it felt so much better than I thought it was. Wow. Tell us about walking in pain. How many days did you walk in pain? Because you said before you left, one of the reasons you told people you wanted to go on the Camino was the simplicity of getting up and just walking every day. But that simple thing yeah. was now the hardest thing to do. And it was the pain that led you to that discovery of being humble and God on the bus. But tell us about walking in pain. How much does it play a part in your Camino and how much does it play a part in potentially you not enjoying yourself as much as you would? Yeah. Um, well, the day I had injured my knee, I was 
on my way into, I was about a weekend on my way into Los Arcos and I, when it, I had injured myself, I'm not a crier. It does, it takes a lot for me to cry, but I was crying all the way down this hill and there were other pilgrims walking faster than me, of course, at this point. And we're all doing the Buen Camino, Buen Camino. And I'm kind of Buen Camino, just very shaky, just keep going. I don't want to talk to anybody about it. Don't look at me. Just keep going. And then after a few days, like the pain, I still had pain. I took a couple rest days. I shortened my walking time and that helped. I took more breaks. I hadn't taken very many breaks before at that point. And so I still had pain, but the fact that I was still moving, I was fine with. And I didn't really have a deadline for when I wanted to be done. So the fact that I could take it slower wasn't a time issue. Um, but that ended up being more freeing because um, I got to explore the towns I was stopping in. I didn't have, I had more energy because I had shortened my walking time. I had rested more, taken more breaks. And I got to see Spain. I had never been there before. So while it was painful, there was, I think there was equal amounts of pain and joy in every day. So the Meseta. Now, mm-hmm. you're talking about having a knee injury in Los Arcos. You still got yeah. the Meseta ahead of you. Tell us about mm-hmm. that journey. So that was actually a lot better for the knee pain because it was a flat surface. Right. Uh, for the most part. So the knee hurts going downhill, for the most part, going uphill, going downstairs, um, climbing out of bed. Uh, but on the flat ground, it's not so bad. Um, so the Meseta, I surprisingly enjoyed for the, for the most part because it, I had less pain. Right. Um, and that kind of made my head shift from knee pain to other things. I could think about my life back home, what I want to see change, my relationships with people, my, my friendships with the people I was meeting on the Camino. I could, I could think about other things other than my knee. Yeah. And I found that to be so great and so freeing. Yeah, yeah. But as we know, you get to the end of the Camino and you start to climb. And mm-hmm. it led you to lesson four, God can show up anytime, anywhere. And it's Christian George, again in Sacred Travel, who writes, pilgrimage is centered around one thing, progression. God does not call us to be static saints. Even if we cannot move physically, we're constantly on the move spiritually, evolving in our understanding of God, chasing him in our prayer crawling and climbing over obstacles and challenges. So tell us about the end of the Meseta and having to climb again. So the mountains, I, I absolutely loved. Mm. I, they were so beautiful. I, yeah. you felt like, I mean, you felt like you're walking through Middle Earth. So you just want to be enveloped in it, and that means you have to climb. And so... I overheard someone uh, say, did you see that girl walking with her walking poles like they were canes? <laughs> that was me. Um, <laughs> I, was, I was so desperate to be in the mountains and be in that, that landscape and that, that absolute beauty up there that I'm like, I'll just power through it. I don't care. 
I'll just do it. And it was painful. It did hurt. But I, I loved it so much that I just, you know what? I'll take another five-minute break. I'll take another break here. I just made longer days. And that ended up being just fine. I iced my leg at the end of the day and then took a couple rest days here and there where I needed to. I just didn't want to rush. I didn't want to leave. That was my big thing. I didn't want to leave the mountains. I loved them. And it was in those moments, Amy, of exploration of the Meseta and leading you up into the mountains when you're starting to really feel invigorated and you know that your Camino is coming to an end, that you came to lesson five, and that was turn around. Tell us about that. It was funny. I I reflected more on it at that point, but it is something that I had, I think, learned earlier on, that just taking one quick peek behind you can show you what you've already done. So at that point, we're going through the meseta. There's there's not much to look at. And we turned around one day and there were these beautiful snow-capped mountains. And it was just kind of like a kick in the pants to just keep going because it was, you realize how far we've come at this point? You realize how much we've done? We're, we're kind of taking it slow. We're waddling along, but we have, we've come so far. And that knowledge alone, it kind of makes you, it doesn't make you maybe move physically faster, but it makes you feel like you are. And it kind of gets you motivated. And it's a wonderful reminder, even outside of the Camino in life is just take a quick peek and see what you've already come through. Because even if you're going through tough times or, you know, the cyclical part of life that doesn't seem like it has an end, you've come through something already. And it's, good not to forget it. So as I said, you're nearing the third and final stage of your Camino and you again quote Christian George, pilgrimage is music in motion. The jazzy notes are fluids, spontaneous and unpredictable. The musician who taps his foot to the tune and the pilgrim who taps his foot to the trail both go into the future blindly trusting that in the end, the song will be sweet to the ear and even sweeter to the step. So you said in the talk, when we think about learning a lesson, we often think that there must be a hardship to be overcome in order to gain some new insight. And now you're in the Leon Mountains, as you say. You were met by a new kind of teacher, joy. Take us back there to that moment. When I got into the mountains, I did not want to leave. Mm. And there was something, I guess it was kind of catching. It was that we couldn't help but be smiling the whole time they were we were just such a beautiful place and there's something so invigorating about the air that just excited to be there and I was walking with someone who uh, my friend Catherine who is one of the funniest people I've ever met and I started to realize I don't think I have laughed more than I have on this trip than I have in a long time, especially over the last couple of years. And it almost felt like in that atmosphere, we could smile, we could laugh about anything, despite the fact that we might have knee pain or foot pain or whatever, we have company to enjoy and we have a place to enjoy. And we don't have to power through it and plow through it. We can we can take joy in this place. And there was something that was kind of like, 
something that I had like buried down unintentionally. Like I was supposed to be learning serious lessons about life. I was supposed to be taking away these deep, I don't know, spiritual and theological truths and life altering experiences. But then I would have these days where I just laughed from morning till evening. And I felt so healed from that. Yeah. There's something in levity that is, is good for us. And that's just as much of a vital lesson as, you know, anything else that we might learn in the Camino or anywhere in life. Yeah. And you said, in, I love the line where you said, and you could see the joy in your face. In your talk, you said, I spent evenings eating and drinking with my Camino family, even chasing sunsets up a hill. Yeah. What a great line, chasing sunsets up a hill. Tell us about that. We actually did that. Uh, we were in Castro Jerez, and actually this was Leo. This was young oh. Leo who spoke to. Um, this was his idea. James and Leo from a couple of weeks ago. Yes. Oh, wow. Yeah, we were in um, Castro Jerez, and um, Leo, of course, he's 15, so he comes running up. We're going to watch the sunset, and we're like, all right, sure. And he's like, it's up there. And he, <laughs> he points up to the, the ruins and up the hill. And I said, well, I'm going to have to get my walking poles. I'm, you know, too feeble for this. <laughs> we did it. We ran up the hill to watch the sunset, and it was so great. We even watched the lights kind of coming on in the town in, in Castro Jerez. And we realized that, you know, once the sun had set and we could see the moon rising, it was so beautiful that our albergue locks its doors at 930. Oh, no. And it was 925. <laughs> so we had to basically tumble down the hill. And Catherine and I sprinted through town as well as we could with, you know, injuries. Um, and just like passing confused locals. You know, buenas noches, buenas noches. <laughs> we made it. The, the albergue host was kind enough to keep the doors open for us until we got back. But it was, it was a very, it was a rush and it was so much fun. Yeah, fantastic. I did climb through the window of the albergue in St. Jean-Pierre-Port the night I was there. I was like, <laughs> oh my God. I know, awesome. I know, I know. And, and as my friend Stacy Wittig said, uh, I would have loved to have seen that, Dan. <laughs> very, un, very ungracious, very ungracious, yeah. So you said that uh, here you are, you're feeling alive, right? You're chasing sunsets up hills, eating and drinking with your Camino family. You're laughing, as you said, hard. You said joy can show you sides of yourself that had been buried. Joy is also a gateway to freedom. You said walking in the beauty of creation revived me and I felt closer to God than ever. So, Amy, how has the Camino impacted your relationship with God? I think it's made me shift my paradigm, I think, of communication with God because I, you know, I'm, I'm part of, you know, I go to church every Sunday. I'm part of a small group on Thursdays. And um, I like having the regular study and the routine, mm. but having moments of such spontaneity, but also such like, I think that I would say spiritual surge on the Camino of just in the middle of nowhere, I could totally feel the presence of God. 
And I think it was more of just me shifting, um, taking God out of my schedule and putting myself into his. And I think that's the biggest change that I felt is like, I have to be more open. If I'm going to call it a relationship, I better treat it like I'm available for it. Wow. And that's, that's been the biggest difference I think for me with my relationship with God. And the fact that, you know, you can, you can talk about it without trying to have an agenda or shove, you know, your own belief down someone's throat. Cause when you talk in the Camino with somebody and they'll, they'll ask you why you're doing the Camino or, you know, what you're feeling and you can just be, you know, I feel, I feel God. I feel like I've, become closer to God and there's no judgment. There's no sort of agenda behind it. I just want you to know like what I'm feeling and it's, it's freeing. I think I've said that phrase so many times already, but it's freeing. I, there's a release. Yeah. 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 How wonderful this gift you found to give to yourself. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, really, really, you know, you were quite a different person, I imagine, 18 months ago. I was definitely a busier person. (laughs) (laughs) You stepped outside of your comfort zone and you've handed yourself a most wonderful gift. So what did you learn about yourself on the Camino, Amy? I learned that I'm much more of a people person than I thought I was. Wow, what a great thing to discover. I know, I know. It's, I mean, especially working in customer service, it can really make you feel like you're not a people person. Um, but I just, I loved the the coffee table conversations. I loved the late night at the albergues, the, the random people you would meet in the street. And you could just, I loved hearing other people's stories. And there was... I think because we, you know, if you meet people, you don't know if you're going to see them again on the Camino because you walk at a different pace or whatever. So any chance that you have to sit down and have coffee with them or dinner or run out to the the market or something with them, you do it because you don't want to miss a chance on seeing them again. Mm. And there's so many times back home where we cancel plans and because it's easy to do or it's more convenient for us. But if we put, I think a little bit more value in the, in the conversations that we could be having with one another, I think it's, I think it's amazing. So yeah, I think I found I'm definitely more of a people person. Yeah. 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 And how does the the Camino manifest in your day-to-day life now? Well, I, I've only been, I've been home for three months now. I I still don't think I have a single day where I don't think about it. Um, but I think at this point, it's it shifted from wishing I was back there to how can I bring those feelings here? Because mm. I I think you know, we don't go away for 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 no reason. We we go away to come home. So what I I learned from going away, I need to bring home. So that's kind of where I'm. At now is, you know, the lessons I spoke about in my message, I need to apply them here now. And that's kind of what I'm trying to navigate is the the Camino at home. 
Amy, tell us a Camino story. This one is the first one that popped in my head, but it was after um, Saria and the the trails were getting so much more crowded. There were, there were school groups um, taking up the trails and it wasn't quite as enjoyable as it was to begin with. And um, we get to our albergue that night and we found out that the, the school kids are staying in the same place and we think, oh no, we, we should maybe find somewhere else to stay. Uh, but we found out that our room was separated from them and we'd be staying with these four elderly uh, men from China. And we're like, oh, sounds great. They seem like great roommates. Um, but they had a bowl of hard boiled eggs <laughs> just in, just in the, in the room. And it was about, I want to say oh. 27 degrees. <laughs> that night and we had to shut the windows because our room was right next to the bell tower of the church and we're trying to keep the noise out from the bell tower and these eggs the smell was so bad it was just kind of percolating (laughs) all night and normally I would have to wake Catherine up in the morning to get us going she can normally sleep through anything I I woke up to her standing over top of me (laughs) And she just said, get up, we're leaving. And it was about 5.30 in the morning. <laughs> we couldn't take it anymore. Um, but that was, out of the whole Camino, I had, you know, I had pretty good roommates <laughs> for the most part. And it was just towards the end. We had to share a room with a bowl of hard-boiled eggs. That's a great story. <laughs> so great. All right, one last question. Tell sure. me about Honey in the Rock. It's such a great song. I love <laughs> that song so much. Um, it came out maybe like a month or two before I went on the Camino, and it kept running through my head as we're going through the mountains in Galicia because, you know, you're walking on rocks, and there is you know, sweetness in the air because you're in the mountains and it's, and the air smells great. The, the temperature is great. The people around you are great. And, and still I have knee pain and I have pain in my feet and I'm tired, but I cannot deny that there's sweetness here. And I think that's why that song was running through my head so much is there is goodness and there is sweetness in places where you don't think it's going to be or maybe where you don't think it fits and God will provide in any place not just the places where we think it's appropriate or where we think it's more likely to be and I think that's why that song kept popping in my head and so I was humming it a lot and um kind of mumbling it to myself and I don't know how many people overheard me but I definitely sang it out loud That's so great. Oh, my gosh. Amy, you talked in your presentation about joy being a gateway to freedom. I'm so pleased for you that you found this gateway to freedom and feel so much lighter and so much more joy because you've brought so much joy to me and my listeners today, Amy. Congratulations on the journey you've traveled and the many more journeys ahead. And if you take our joy for you with you, 
I hope you'll walk lightly and in harmony for many, many Caminos to come, not necessarily in Spain, but wherever you find yourself walking. So from me and all my listeners, thank you for taking the time to talk to me. Buen Camino. Oh, Buen Camino. Thank you so much. I've enjoyed this so, so much. My guest this week was Amy Wiseman. I'll put a link to Amy's talk in the show notes. My quote this week was part of the lyrics to Honey in the Rock by Brooke Fraser and Brandon Lake, the song that Amy was talking about. There's honey in the rock, purpose in your plan, power in the blood, healing in your hands. Started flowing when you said it is done. Everything you did's enough. What a blessing to spend an hour with Amy and with you. A very special thank you to my Patreon sponsors. Thank you for your kindness. And thanks for your kindness in tuning in each week to walk with me a while. I'll be back next week. Until then, I'm Dan Mullins. Buen Camino. Uh-huh.